you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. John 20, 19 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> so if you, um, uh, most people know uh, this part of, of John's gospel, right? Most people know the story of doubting Thomas, right? I mean, if you've heard this story, you, you heard it in Sunday school probably, and again in confirmation maybe, and like a million times at church because there's something about it uh, that is so uh, compelling because you've got uh, Thomas who, um, you know, it's just that, that classic moment. You're like, okay, he missed out when everybody else saw Jesus and he has this opportunity. Is he going to believe what they say or not? And, and Jesus, you know, shows up and, and kind of puts him on the spot. It's like, hey, you said you'd believe if you saw uh, my wounds. Well, here they are. What do you what do you say? I grew up uh, listening to, uh, you know, hearing about doubting, doubting Thomas. And in, uh, I don't even know if anybody ever said this to me. I don't even know, uh, my church growing up was, you know, they tried really hard to let us ask questions if we had questions and to say, you know, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to, to have lots of questions. But I still caught this idea that the point of the story of doubting Thomas is, is you better not doubt, right? Um, it's, it's what Jesus says if you, other translations like the NIV, uh, Landon's translation said, stop, uh, stop not believing and believe, but often it says, right, stop doubting and believe. And, and I grew up with this idea that if I had any doubts about faith, any questions about faith, um, the one place to keep them was, was inside, Right? Uh, and you want to do two things with your doubts. This is when I was growing up. This is what I caught, even though I don't know if anyone ever told me this. Uh, you don't tell anyone, because if you tell someone, they'll worry about you, so you just you keep, it, keep it quiet, and then you've got to work really hard in your brain to, like, squish those doubts, right? And you look around, and you say, everyone around me doesn't have doubts. They're not saying they have questions. They're not saying they have struggles. Um, so I must not be... Uh, holy enough. So if I spend more time praying, if I spend more time thinking about it, if I just squish these doubts enough, um, I'll be free of them, and then I can believe like, like they do, like the pastor does, or like that person at church does. They never have doubts, right? Has anybody had that experience? Um, at least that was what it was like for me uh, growing up. And so Doubting Thomas was always thought of as this guy, like, ugh, you know, there's betraying Judas and doubting Thomas. Um, but I, and, and I think that hell holds us, holds us captive. Um, it, it keeps us captive. And I'll tell you, um, I don't think I'm the only one that grew up thinking it wasn't okay to share my doubts about faith. Um, and the reason I don't think that's true is because one of the cool things about being a pastor is that people will come and tell you things that they might not say up in front of the church on Sunday morning. Um, and I can tell you, many, many people have come and sat down in my office since I became a pastor and said, Pastor, belief doesn't come easily for me. 
Uh, it's hard. I have so many questions and so many doubts, and this is what they say, I kid you not, I've heard it, it's like a tape that everybody's got inside them somewhere that they tell the pastor. Uh, They say, everyone else seems to get faith and understand it perfectly and never struggle with doubt, but I struggle with doubt. Why is that? What can I do about it? Uh, And and if you're hearing me, do you you see what's happening? Uh, we've decided that, that, you know, because of Thomas, and we'll, we'll get back to Thomas in a minute, that it's, it's bad to have questions about faith, that people will not uh, think we're spiritual enough if we have questions about faith. And so what we all do when we have doubts or when we have questions about faith, we all say, best keep it to myself. And the amazing magic trick of when everybody keeps their problems to themselves, they look around at all the other people that don't have problems, <laughs> right? But why don't they have problems? Because they're all keeping it to themselves, right? And we all sit together, and we go to church, and we sing songs, and we read God's Word, and we say, well, you know, I know things are hard, but... But I'm just, you know, I'm trusting God to our friend, but deep down inside we say, I don't know that I really am trusting God. And we keep that to ourselves. You know, we talked about the closet and the wall, right? Doubt, doubt is something that goes into our closet, and we stick it as far back in there as we can. Um, And so what we're going to do for the next uh, three weeks, today we're talking about uh, what it means to be stuck in doubt, and we'll see how uh, Jesus works in Thomas's life to get him stuck out of this, unstuck out of this trap. Uh, and the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a couple of other stories of people being stuck in something and how the presence of Christ can step in and, and make it better. And, and so um, I, in my experience, in, in my own life, and in um, conversations with people, uh, there are so many different ways that people deal with questions or, or like doubts. Um, and it's not just, um, it's not just in uh, ideas about faith, but it's, it's all over the place. I think they fit into three different categories. Uh, so if you'll, if you'll stay with me, I think we get stuck, um, and doubt comes um, when uh, sometimes it has to do with experiences in our own lives, right? Uh, sometimes doubt comes from experiences in our past. And what I mean is like something happens to us or hasn't happened to us that we wanted to happen that causes us to doubt that God cares about us. Um, I, have a, I have a good friend who, who was telling me uh, the other day that he's just like, you know, I, I must not be close enough to God. I must be doing something wrong because this thing, this thing, and this thing that I want to happen to my life, it hasn't happened yet. That's a, that's a doubt about God's goodness. Um, my life isn't going the way I want it to go does God really care? Or maybe a tragedy's happened to us. So we have experiences from the past that can send us into just, into, into real struggles. It can get us really stuck in doubt. And of course, most of the time, we keep all those experiences on our own because we've got to show everybody else how strong and together we are. And, and we get stuck in them. Another place that doubts often come from is uh, worries about tomorrow. Um, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, you know, God has showed up in this way, or I feel like maybe he's helped in the past, but there's no way this problem can be solved. There's no way this worry won't crush me or destroy me tomorrow. And, and you start to doubt that God uh, might work. You start to not believe. And finally, the, the last one is kind of the classic place that people talk about with their doubts. It's, it happens um, when you get ideas or you have questions 
that don't fit with whatever it was you were taught to believe is the Christian faith, right? So, uh, you know, um, I, you know, maybe you're reading, you're, you're learning more about science or something. For some people, that evolution thing, they're like, oh, I was taught that evolution is bad, and if it's possible that it's real, then my faith is worthless. And so you start to you read an article or a news story, and it starts to bother you. And you start to say, well, but how do I answer this question? How do I answer that question? Um, but, but it's all over the place. It's, we get an idea. Someone told us this is what the Christian faith is about. Sometimes someone tells us if you're close to God, then things are going to go really well your whole life. That's an idea. And then things don't go well, and, and you start to think, hey, I was taught that if I went to church, that if I cared for my neighbor, and that if I was basically a good person, if I knew Jesus, my life uh, would go well, and I would get all of my dreams. But whatever it is, uh, our doubts, they come from these places, whether it's our experiences, our worries that things won't get better, that maybe God doesn't care, or maybe they come out of uh, things that we've been taught and now are starting to question, starting to challenge, trying to say, well, what does that really mean? And oftentimes uh, in the church, um, the way that people respond to, um, to doubt is the same way that I did. We pull in, uh, we close up, and then if, if you ever share your doubts with someone, they usually tell you that maybe you should try believing a little harder. <laughs> Uh, and I've heard this all the time. Oh, I have all these questions, pastor, or it's in a small group. I just, I don't know how I can believe that. Well, um, have you tried just really believing? Because <laughs> we, don't, we don't always have, have an answer. And so what usually happens is we just sort of, we push the gas and we, we try and believe harder in our head and we try and say, I know I'm struggling with these questions, but I'm going to stop asking them. If I start having thoughts bubble up in my mind that, that are, are doubts, I'm going to push them away as far as they can go. And if you're like me, if you've ever tried to not think about something, what, what happens when you do that? It doesn't work, right? You think about it more and more and more. And so you spend all your time in this kind of wrestling match, this mental wrestling match. Sometimes when people are dealing with doubt in all three of those, those areas, uh, they start looking for, and we start looking for um, perfect answers to every single question, right? We start to think, I've got all these questions. I believe that God's word is true. You know, I believe that God cares about me. I should be able to find an answer to every question. And I know people that have gone through this. They start, they start doing the research, and they answer one question, and they discover that underneath that question is another question, and another question, and another question. And, and what happens is you start to build this airtight system that says, if I could only find somebody could tell me exactly what all the answers are, the answers to all the questions, I could put my doubts at ease, and I wouldn't worry about it anymore. Um, and finally, often what people do, in my experience, and even what I've done, I, I struggle, I think this is the one that gets me the most, when I'm having doubts about my future, or, or about my faith, or I'm struggling. Um, often I'll solve it by just Trying to, trying to smooth out the problems, and people will kind of embrace a like all or nothing, um, kind of black and white style thinking. Um, and so usually what happens is the thought is, if I can make uh, it a big enough deal that I have to believe this for everything else to be true, then, uh, then that's going to be so big, and the thought of not believing anymore is going to be so scary that I can I can kind of force everything into line. So I hear this one from people all the time, um, and this one might get me in trouble. Um, the people will say to you, well, um, Pastor Todd, you know, if you don't believe that the earth was made in literal seven 24-hour days, then you might as well throw the Bible in the trash, right? 
And I'm not making an argument about that, and there's all kinds of different opinions about that, but, but they'll say this. Well, if you can't trust that the earth was made in six 24-hour days, despite the fact that there wasn't even a sun and a moon for the first few days, and how do you tell what a day is without a sun and moon? But we, we won't get there. If the earth wasn't made in six literal 24-hour days, then you ought to throw the Bible in the trash. And the point of that is, is it says, well, I don't want to throw the Bible in the trash, so I'm just going to make myself believe something, and I'm going to stop asking questions. I'm going to push away anybody that challenges that and, and run far from, from that doubt. And if, if we're honest, in my experience, these um, options rarely solve the problem. Now, they rarely get rid of the doubts. They just give us something else to focus on, right? So, so if it's, you know, if it's the, the system on that, you, you spend your whole life trying to convince yourself that, that this has to be true because if it's not true, nothing else is true. Or, um, you know, if you answer your questions, right, like I said, right, there's always another question underneath the question. It's, it's a struggle. And often what'll happen is Christians, uh, and I know uh, I grew up with a lot of these Christians, they'll spend a lot of time, especially when they're young, um, trying so hard to squish down those doubts, and they'll, they'll push them down into this little tiny box, and they'll get them in a nice, airtight system that's perfect, and then finally, someone will poke them in the wrong way, and their whole faith will unravel. Um, that whole house of cards that we've built on, on some of these ways of dealing with our own doubt, it just, it just falls apart. It comes crashing down and people walk away from, from Jesus. That's often what, what happens um, because you just can't mentally or logically or whatever um, force everything in your mind to always fit perfectly forever. Eventually, there's, there's a break. Um, well, I think, uh, I believe that God doesn't actually want us to be stuck uh, fighting a battle of either believing harder or not. I don't think that's what John is about when it comes to Thomas. Believe it or not, the, the whole gospel of John is all about this question of belief. It's all about what people are going to believe about Jesus and what it means to choose belief even when you have some doubts. Um, so, so while most of us think about um, belief as, as a brain problem, as a, if I can check the, the correct belief box in my head, then I'm on the right track. Uh, in Jesus' day, uh, there was much less separation between what we think about life and how we live life. And so, so if you read the Gospel of John, you'll see just example after example of what this is. Uh, in John, you can tell if someone believes what Jesus is doing. And you know how you can tell? They follow him. And if they don't believe in what Jesus is saying, they don't, they don't follow him. So in the, in the Gospel of John, and, and I think for most of us, and even that Greek word uh, that we translate as believe or faith is this Greek word called pistis. Uh, it, it, inside of that word, it's, it's intrinsically active uh, because they understood in their day that I think we've missed because we're very conceptual is that it's really difficult to actually believe something and live in a totally different way. Uh, you know, uh, ancient people would say you, you could tell what someone believes by what they do. And in the Gospel of John, that's true. The people that believe Jesus, they act like it. Uh, and so, so as we look at the story of, of Thomas, uh, we're going to take a quick uh, little look through it again, uh, what, what Landon read. And I'm just going to kind of recap it. There it is right there on the slide. So here's, here's the story from 10,000 feet. 
Uh, John 20, it starts off, all the disciples, they're gathering together in a house. And you know the story from last week. Jesus is killed. He's laid in a tomb, and the disciples are terrified uh, that the Jewish religious leaders are going to come in and put them on crosses too. Okay, this is normal. This is expected. And so they're all holed up together in a home somewhere in Jerusalem, hanging out with the doors locked, right? And it even says that they've got the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And so here they are, they're all in the house, and, and somebody must have said, this isn't in John, but somebody must have said, hey, Thomas, we're running low on milk. <laughs> Can you go to the store and get us some milk? And Thomas, you know, he's, he's a doer, right? He's on the team. He's like, ah, I'll go. I'm the courageous one. Thomas is the one, like just a few chapters ago, that uh, when it was clear that Jesus went to Jerusalem and it was clear to Thomas that that was going to lead to uh, Jesus getting killed, he said, well... Uh, we might as well go to Jerusalem and die with him. <laughs> so that's Thomas. He's, he's got courage. So Thomas goes out to get, to get milk or, or whatever. And while Thomas is gone, Jesus appears to the other uh, now 10 disciples, right? 12 disciples minus Judas, uh, who betrayed Jesus, and minus Thomas, who's out for some reason. We don't really know why. And, and a lot of important stuff happens while Thomas is gone, right? Talk about the thing to not miss. You know, while Thomas is gone, not only does Jesus appear in the flesh, uh, what does he do? Well, uh, he says this. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So here's the ten disciples. Jesus gives them a mission, you remember how I spent my life walking around sent, living every day uh, based on how God was sending me and sharing uh, teaching and healing and doing these things? He says, as my Father has sent me, I have sent you. So ten disciples who are afraid of the Jewish leaders coming to put them in, in handcuffs and, and put them up on crosses, he says, I'm sending you. Uh, then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he said this interesting thing. He said, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you don't, they're not forgiven. What Jesus is saying, he's, he's passing the torch onto those 10 disciples. He's saying, dedicate your lives to doing what it is that I've been doing these three days. And just like, or these three years, just like I was representing God as Jesus Christ, he says, I want you to go and represent me out in the world. And so you can imagine as the disciples, you're sitting there, Jesus is giving you this mission, this call, and maybe you're scared. Clearly they were still scared because they're still hunkering down a couple weeks later. Um, <clears throat> but, but then Thomas comes home and he's got tons of milk and everybody's like, Thomas, you won't believe what we just saw. We saw Jesus in the flesh. And, you know, in the movie version, like, like Thomas, like, drops the milk, you know, and it, like, hits the floor and is spilling milk everywhere. And the disciples are like, you're not going to believe it. We saw Jesus in the flesh. He's alive. They say, uh, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas responds, and, and I think this is, is so interesting. You know, he just, he just says, guys, we've been down this road before. We saw him die on a cross. They're coming to get us next. If you were a disciple in, uh, in this day, in this moment, uh, you kind of had, had two choices after your, your leader, your Messiah, was killed by the government. Okay, you could, you could keep going and get killed too. Or if you're like, you know, a person that likes living, <laughs> you could kind of sneak out of town. We'll lay low for a while 
and then we'll go home and get back to work. And Thomas is saying, you guys are talking uh, uh, like Jesus is alive, <laughs> and if he's really alive, we need to get out there, but I am not sure. I'm not sure he's alive. He says, I don't believe you. In fact, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas is, is giving them exactly what he needs to believe this crazy story they're telling him, this story that will change his life completely. Um, because as you know, and maybe you don't, that uh, the disciples um, were terrified when Jesus was killed. They were getting ready to go home and give up this whole crazy thing they had just spent the last three years on. But uh, when Jesus rose again from the dead, uh, they decided not to. Uh, and whether or not you believe that that's true or not, uh, the thing that is very difficult to dispute is the change that happened in the disciples' lives. Um, you've got uh, 10 people, and then those that followed, that put their lives at great risk and ended their lives uh, on crosses just like Jesus. Uh, people that were about to go home and go back to normal life and fade into the background decided not to, and I believe they decided not to because they saw, they saw Jesus alive. And so Thomas says, uh, you know, you guys, it's nice to say that Jesus is alive, but I know and you know that if he's really alive, it changes everything. This isn't just something that I can check a nice box in my head and say, oh yeah, I believe and I don't doubt that Jesus is alive. It was more than that to Thomas, wasn't it? It was more than that to them because it meant a whole new kind of life and not one that was going to be easy. And so Thomas says, I will not believe, I will not, and he uses that same uh, uh, Greek word, pistis, right? I will not have faith unless I put my fingers in his hands and my hand into his side where the spear went in. Thomas is stuck. Uh, he's stuck because he didn't see, right? Is it, is it Thomas's fault that he missed it when Jesus came in the house? No. Is Thomas doubting because he's like a, a doubter? No, he's doubting because he's a human and he wasn't there when Jesus showed up. Uh, and so a week goes by. You can imagine, uh, right? This, when we read it, it happens like 10 seconds later. But a whole week goes by. And you'll notice that a week later, despite what Jesus said to them, all the disciples are still doing what? They're still locked in the house for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, now I have a question. If you believe that Jesus uh, rose from the dead, was, was killed on a cross, laid in a tomb, you saw this happen with your life, and then you saw him walking around, risen from the dead, and he said, hey, I've got a job for you. Go and be sent. Um, if you believe that, what are you doing locked in a house? with the door closed for fear of the Jewish authorities. I wonder if maybe Thomas isn't the only one <laughs> who has a few doubts as to what's true. But anyway, there they are locked in the house. A uh, week goes by, and uh, let's see, a week later, the disciples in the house again. Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked, just to emphasize. Jesus came and stood among them and said the same thing he said before. He started the same way, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas, and, and you got to just feel for Thomas in this moment, right? 
Um, He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now, my translation says, stop doubting and believe. Uh, But Landon's translation was was better because that that stop doubting and and believe, um, it's the same word. It says, like, stop not faithing and faith. Uh, That's that Greek word pistis. So it's like, stop a pistising, not believing, and pistis, believe. So it's not uh, so much this idea that Thomas has these like nagging doubts floating in his head that he has to squish. Uh, The idea is much more, uh, you've said you don't believe, now believe and and live it and live it out. Thomas uh, responds to him, uh, my Lord and my God. And so, so before we, we go to, to my Lord and my God, my, the two questions that it just it hit me when I read this story. You know, Jesus comes and stands among them. Uh, when Jesus sees Thomas, knowing that Thomas said he wouldn't believe, does Jesus, it sounds a little harsh what Jesus said, but actually, actually looking at it, does Jesus condemn Thomas for his doubting? No. What is, in, fact, in fact, what does Jesus do? Does he, does he criticize Thomas for not believing? I mean, we read it that way because it sounds awfully specific. Uh, You're like, okay, Jesus. But no, he doesn't, does he? In fact, he gives Thomas exactly what he was asking for. Down uh, to the very words, he literally quotes Thomas back to himself. Put your finger here. You You said this is what you needed, Thomas. Here I am. I love you. Put your finger here. Put your hand there. And he echoes uh, Thomas's line too. Thomas says, right, unless I do those things, I will not believe. I will a pistis. And Jesus says, okay, do it. Now stop not believing and believe. And Thomas uh, responds to him uh, just right there. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, now sometimes we skip over this because we're so focused on uh, what, uh, what a stick in the mud Thomas is for not, not believing. Uh, but, but look at, at what happens. Notice, right? Jesus offers Thomas a chance to answer his question, that last nagging doubt that he has. He says, here's the answer for it. Uh, but instead, what happens? How does Thomas respond to Jesus' invitation? Uh, according to John, as we have it here, does Thomas stick his finger in Jesus' nail hole in John? No, he doesn't. Does he stick his hand in Jesus' side? No, he he doesn't, does he? Uh, In fact, in this moment, simply seeing Jesus, Jesus' presence and love for Thomas was enough for him in that moment. It turns out that what Thomas thought he needed to squash his doubts, to stop not believing, wasn't really what he needed, was it? Jesus then uh, makes a little wink to the readers of the book. This happens a few times in John. It's one of my favorite parts of, of John. Jesus, uh, he, he takes a little wink at those who would read it. He says, because you have seen me, Thomas, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is a little wink. Jesus says, because there's going to be a lot of other people that come after you that are not going to get to walk the ground with me and see my miracles and see me face to face. So blessed are them 
that encounter you in, in Scripture and in other ways in the lives of other people and don't see yet believe. Uh, and it continues, talks about how um, Jesus did lots of other signs which aren't recorded in this book, and they're written so that you may believe or so that you may keep believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is all about belief. And so John's question, as he's telling these stories about Jesus, he's collecting these stories about Jesus and what Jesus said and did, his point is, here's what belief looks like, here's what not belief looks like, here's what Jesus did and who he is. Will you choose to believe or not? And by believing, you may have life in his name. Thomas believed because like the disciples, he saw. Like every other disciple, he believed with sight. But we are invited to choose to believe without seeing. And so for me, as I was reading the scripture this week and thinking about today, this is just what's jumping off off the page for me. And we've already talked about it a little bit because I think there's hope here. I think there's hope for us when we're stuck. I think there's hope for us when we don't have all the answers to our questions, and I think there's hope for us when faith doesn't come easily to us, or when the events of our lives make faith so much more difficult than we think it should be, or when our questions and our nagging doubts um, take all of our focus. I think there's hope here. Uh, First of all, Jesus, we already said this, right? Jesus responds to Thomas's doubt with love, not condemnation. Uh, when we have doubts, when we have struggles, when we have moments where we're like, Lord, I am not sure I believe that you really love me, he is not sitting up there going, you are not believing hard enough. No, he responds with love to Thomas's doubt. And, and the other thing I noticed is that Jesus, uh, at no point, um, when you actually read it, right, in the, in, the, in the Greek, at no point does Jesus say, um, Thomas, banish all doubts and questions and never think about them again. No, he just says, stop not believing and believe. You see, it's not about squishing every question, uh, dealing with every problem or struggle of faith. In fact, Jesus takes the focus off of what's going on inside of our heads and that mental battle to push all of our doubts into a little box. And he says, instead of worrying about your doubt, why don't you try believing? And at the end of the day, of course, you notice Thomas still chooses to believe. And like we said, Thomas doesn't check a box in his head and go back to his daily life. No, he, like the other disciples, uh, he responds with a confession of faith, um, but then he dedicates his life to living as if Jesus really did walk out of the tomb. Because to believe then was not a mental uh, checkbox, but the beginning of a whole different kind of life. Uh, To believe then, and my uh, belief is the same is true for now, to believe then was believing in the same way a pilot believes the plane's going to take off before it hits the end of the runway. And and the Gospel of John is packed full of stories uh, about what that belief looks like. But when Thomas struggles in doubt, Jesus responds with his presence, and he gives him an invitation to believe with everything. I think, uh, in, in my experience, the truth is that when we get stuck in doubt and questions and these, these struggles and we build these systems to prop our faith up, um, we start to think that if God would only something, 
then I could finally believe. Um, and, and sometimes we say it out loud. You're like, Lord, if, if you help me out with this thing, then I'll really believe in you. And, and sometimes that's a, a, an amazing story. God works and we do, right? But oftentimes it's, God, if you would only deal with my question about this issue, then I would believe. But guess what? Underneath that question is another question. Underneath that problem that if God would only solve is another problem. Uh, underneath that worry is another fear. We, we tend to think that if God would only do this, I would believe. But John and, and experience, right, they show us that when one prayer is answered, there's always another behind it. Uh, as you read the Gospel of John, you'll discover this, that for people, Jesus' signs and teachings and experiences and miracles, they're never enough for people. And it's easy for us to say, like, well, if I saw that and heard that and knew that, then I, I don't know what's wrong with these people, but uh, they're just like us, right? And, it, and even though Jesus walked the earth in front of them and died on the cross and walked out of the tomb, the disciples, they still sat around waiting in a locked room for weeks after he appeared from them. The, the signs, the teaching, the miracles, they're never enough. The answers are never enough, it's sort of like when he, my five-year-old uh, Foster has started to play what he calls the why game, <laughs> right? No question can be answered with something that can't be followed up with a why, and, that, and that's what happens to us. But when Thomas saw Jesus standing there, and when we encounter Jesus, and, and really when we encounter Jesus in Scripture, in other people, in our lives, in prayer, eventually eventually we have to decide if we're going to believe it or not. To believe that Jesus is God and Lord, and that he died and God raised him from the dead. And, and nothing more is, is necessary for real, eternal life. But we have to choose to believe, having seen what we've seen. And there is no event, there is no piece of evidence, there is no experience, there is no argument that will take that choice away from you. Because the answers are never enough. Eventually, we, we have to vote with our feet. And belief is always a choice to live like something is true. Sometimes you'll feel it, and sometimes you won't. But you've got to take the step. And even though it doesn't squish every question or every doubt in every minute, even though um, when we believe in the person of Jesus who died and rose, who was God on earth, even though that doesn't solve every theological issue we might have, uh, we don't have to fight those battles anymore. When we believe in Jesus, we're no longer stuck pretending we understand perfectly. We're no longer stuck hiding our doubts from God and others. And we're invited to live out our belief in relationship with a person and in our feet. And you'll find that that living, that trying, that believing every day in whatever way that we can, when we put our faith in the person of Jesus, you'll learn so much more about who God is than any theological idea or system somebody can give you. Because true faith is found in the following, not the thinking. So as we come to the table today, um, and this is why, one of the reasons why we celebrate communion. We celebrate communion because Jesus told us to, uh, but we also celebrate communion as a way of obeying with our whole body, 
of saying, Jesus, you told us that when we come together, we eat and drink in remembrance of you, and we believe that you're present in that uh, up here, but we experience it and practice it with our body. We actually sit down and drink a little cup of juice because a belief is about more than checking a box in our brain. So as we come to the table today, uh, I encourage you to join us in experiencing the presence of Jesus and the bread and the cup. And I want to invite you to ask yourself as you come to this table, what will you choose to believe and what are you choosing to believe with your life? Let's pray together. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.